0: Keep you seated. Help me out here. We need to give a big hand to the worship team. Christmas time for all the musicians is a lot of work. Thank you guys. All new songs, all new things. Let's see, like twice as much work. So I appreciate all the work they did to get everything ready. And uh, hopefully you guys didn't notice, but I made a really huge blunder throughout that entire thing. If you didn't notice, that's great. So hopefully uh, hopefully that was the case, but they probably noticed what I was doing and it wasn't quite right. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just pray for this message. Lord, we just thank you for this time of the year that we have to come. And remember that Jesus uh, came and died for us. Lord, I just pray that you would... Give me wisdom as I uh, try to uh, convey this message this morning and just uh, give us wisdom as we listen and we try to apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to tell you a kind of an interesting story. At least I thought it was interesting when I heard it. Um, and that story is about a guy. I think he was in IT. I might be getting that wrong. I think he was in IT. And he decided he was like in his 40s or whatever. He's kind of midlife sometime in there. And he said, I'm going to change my career. And so he goes back to school, and he decides to go back to school, and he goes into psychology. And he's, so he's you know, older than most of the rest of the students because this is sort of a second career for him. He goes into this uh, class, and he takes this just this freshman-level introductory psychology class. And you know he doesn't know anything, so he's just hanging out there, and he's doing his reading or an assignment or there's a lecture or something like that. And in one of the books, there's this thing that's said, and it's this you have to think like 2.9 happy thoughts for every negative thought in order to be like a happy person or something like that. But it was like this weirdly specific number, like down to the decimal places to the 10th on how many positive negative thoughts you had to think. And so that was just seemed really odd to him. And so he decided to like look into where this number came from. So He went ahead and uh, started researching it and following it. He found, like, the original journal article the guy had printed that said that this was true. And so he goes in there, and he finds it, and he finds it, and he finds it. Then he sees all the math, and there's this, like, giant equation for it, which how you have an equation in psychology with happy thoughts versus not happy thoughts. I'm not super sure, but there was a big, giant equation. And he, like, hunts this equation down. He hunts the equation down. When he finally finds the equation, he finds it in a math book. And what he finds was the person who had written this journal article didn't just copy the idea of the equation from a sample in the math book. He had actually copied all the numbers from the example in the math book. He literally just took this sample equation out of the math book, copied it, pasted it, somehow applied it to psychology in some way that would probably be kind of difficult to parse out, and boom. All of psychology down to the freshman level, they were thinking that you had to think 2.9 happy thoughts or whatever it was in order to be able to remain happy. And so this guy's like, well, I've got to tell the world. You know, I've got to let people know. So the original journal that published this particular article did not want to publish an article retracting that they'd been wrong because this had been wrong for so long they didn't want to admit it. And so there's this thing. There was a quote by Warren Buffett. He said it better than I, so I can't give you the direct quote. But he said it really, really kind of succinctly. But it's, the idea is this. There's wanting to be right and there's a wanting to have always been Right? So you might have like something you're arguing about right then that you've never kind of made a decision on and you're kind of debating it back and forth with someone else or with yourself. or you know, Probably with someone else, but you know, you're kind of debating it and you want to be right about it. But then there's, I've been doing it this way for a very long time, or I've been thinking this was true for a very long time. And actually we are much more likely to hold on to wanting have been right then we are worried about wanting to be right with something new. They came up with a word for this. It's called confirmation bias. Some of you have maybe heard that term before. You've believed it for a long time. You've thought it for a long time. And you don't want to change it. And the academic world and psychology did not want to change this. They'd been selling this for a long time. It was an embarrassment to them. So the guy gets some other people together. They say, hey, listen, if we don't publish it in yours as a retraction. we're going to publish it in another journal article. So you know what they did? Believe it or not, the original journal said, you're right. And they published it, and they said, we were wrong, and we've been wrong all this time. That is really, really, really hard to do. That is hard to do. And there's so many examples of tests that people have done and experience that have done on humans and how we do not want to change our mind. We've been doing something a long way, a long time, the same way. It's really hard to say we've been wrong for a long time. And, you know, if you think about what we've been talking about within here in Acts, we actually kind of have a similar situation. Israel had been doing things the same way with the Old Testament laws a long time. A very long time. And now God is saying, I need you to make this big shift. I need you to make this big change. It was going to be very hard. They'd not only been doing it their whole life, their parents had been doing it their whole life, their grandparents, and so on and so forth. And so we have this thing with Peter and Cornelius and then coming together, and then it's going to go to the whole church today, and we're going to see what's going to happen when they come up with this issue of this claim of being um, sort of uh, this big change. Rachel, if you could mute. I think Steve's guitar is buzzing. There we go. Sorry. Probably knowing no one else but me, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. (laughs) So we start in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received received the word of God so now not only Peter went to had done it and now the word is starting to spread the news is getting out oh the Gentiles remember the passage we read last week about how they were supposed to do what to the Gentiles they're supposed to have no mercy on the Gentiles in the Old Testament and now they're hearing the same word that they received is going to them I'm sure the whispers are going crazy Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised party criticized him, saying, so he goes back to Jerusalem, he talks to the people, the Jewish people, they'd been circumcised, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Circumcision was a way to sort of differentiate between the the Gentiles and the Jews. It was this very important marker that you could tell whether someone had really converted to Judaism or whether they were born in it or whether they'd rejected it. Circumcision was a great thing to be able to differentiate the two parties. And so, the circumcised people say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? How dare you? Don't you know the rules that we've been following for a very long time? Because think about this. Not only are they saying... Well, Peter, if it would have been okay for you to do it, then what we've been doing this whole time was wrong. And we don't really want to say that, like our whole life, we've been doing it the wrong way. That would be, that's painful. That's personally painful. But Peter began, explain to them in order. And so... We go back, and my message this morning will probably be quite short because a lot of this is repeat from last week, but he's going to go through, and he's going to tell them. He's going to give them the information, Peter, someone they can trust. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, remember we talked about this, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember this story? But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Peter was also in this situation. I've never done this. I've, I've always been, been clear of these kind of meats, my, my, my whole ancestry has, and he's telling the story about how the same thing had happened to him, where even when God told him to do something different, he was loath to do it. He, he probably thought he was being tested by God. But the voice answered a second time from heaven What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man house. So the men, they come, they came to me. I went with them because God told me to. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Hopefully this is a familiar story I remember over the last few weeks. And then the and then the, the kicker of the story. And as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. Just Like it had happened to us, now it's happening to them. Peter seems like he'd be a trustworthy guy you should listen to. I don't know about you, but if someone, even if they were someone I really liked, someone I really trusted, if they came and told me something that I believed my whole life was wrong, I would start by something like this. Now, I don't really want to call you a liar, Peter. You know, you're a really great guy. I'm sure, I'm sure you're just confused, right? I'm sure you're making a mistake here. You know, this, this habit we have as humans actually can be really, really helpful. You know, you might learn at some point all of why bears are dangerous. You know, maybe certain kind of bears, bears are dangerous. But you know what? Eventually, you kind of forget all the details. Right? You can't remember why. You can't remember which ones are dangerous and which ones are not. You know, all that stuff goes out. You know, you can't really remember any details. But then you, 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 you meet one in the wild, and you know what? You go, I can't really remember all the details, but thankfully my mind can really take a shortcut. And you know what the shortcut says? These things are dangerous, and I should probably leave. Right? It's really an incredible ability of our mind to take these shortcuts, and we can, we can le- lean back on things we've learned before. That's why it's so painful to, to change. I mean, just imagine. I, mean, I don't think this would be the case. Just imagine if someone said, Bears are totally safe all the time, no matter what. I mean, wouldn't that be just hard to believe? You're like, what are you talking about? I've I've seen like a million movies about this. Like I learned it in school. I was taught this. And you're like, well, have you ever seen a bear? Well, well, no, I've never. Not not only not a, you know, from a distance, maybe the zoo, but well, have you ever up close? No, right. So then, man, it'd be hard to change, though, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to change. I I. Don't change on the bear thing. As far as I know, they're still dangerous, right? But you can imagine how difficult this would have been. And I remembered the word of the Lord, and he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus who was, the ice, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You know, circumcision was like a special thing that only the Jews got to do. It was the thing that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. If you wanted to become a convert to Judaism, you had to become its proselyte. You had to essentially become like a Jew. In culture, in the way you did things, and suddenly Peter's saying, ah, now we have this thing, baptism. And guess what? The Gentiles get it too. They don't have to become Jews. They don't have to change everything about their culture. They become a part of us. They get to be a part of things too. Oh, that would be hard to swallow. What? I mean, why do you think? I'm, so I remember a pastor telling me, you always want to be careful about preaching through the book of Galatians. Like, why? I, he's like, a guy's like, well, I, I, I did a series on the book of Galatians and just like lost everybody. I could tell. I mean, every, I was like, half the people were out ready to leave it. It's like, it seemed like every message was the same. You don't have to get circumcised as a Christian. You don't have to, you don't have to get circumcised to be saved. It's like the whole book seems to be like that's what it's talking about over and over. I, I, I'm exaggerating, but you know, like a lot of the book is about that. He said, well, why did the Bible need like an entire book? on this first of all Galatians isn't very long in the world of books for any of you that read very many books it's because this was such a big deal the the Jews just couldn't get over it hardly and we've been doing this circumcised thing since when Abraham Genesis 12 thousands of years you're now telling me we're going to do this baptism thing and we're just going to do it to anybody that believes I mean, I just wouldn't have been able to swallow it. I'm not sure I could have. You know, I I think there's times in our life that God has something that he wants us to do that's different than what we were doing before. And you know what we say to ourselves? Nope. I've been doing it this way a long time. I've been doing it this way a long, long time. And whether I'm right now or not, I want to have been right all this time. I've been doing it this way. And no matter how much God pokes and prods us and pushes us, no matter how obvious it might be, what do we want to do? No, this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. I'm stuck right here and happy to be it. We're like the pig wallowing in the mud. And we just how we like it. And I I think it could have been very easy for the Jews. As a matter of fact, I think some of the Jews did do that. But we go to verse 18 and it says, When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thousands of years of history. A new truth comes to them that God has changed the way He's working with man. And what was their response? If God says it, then so be it. And when you read Acts, this might not think like that big of a concession, but just think, oh man. Through the evidence of Peter that the Spirit had come to the Gentiles, they were willing to say, that thousand years was great. It was fine. It was good. And it's different now. You know, the things you've done in your life that God's had you do in the past, they might be fine. They might be good. It might have been the right thing to do. But maybe there's something God wants you to do that's different than what you've done before. And I encourage you to like, be like these people and say, listen, even though it goes against everything my past would say, It's time to make the change. It's time to do something different. I don't know what that might be for you. You know, Dr. Van Heekulam would say, I always am loath to give very specific, really specific application to people because I have no idea what God might want to do in their life. And if I get too specific, I might actually take something away that God has for them in their life. So this morning when I say maybe there's something you need to change, I don't even want to get too specific. Because your life is so unique, there's something that maybe is going on with you that I would have no idea. That I could, I could sit in front of, behind my desk for an hour and hours and hours and hours and hours and never know what's going on in your life. But God knows. And if God has been working on you to make that change, I pray that this morning might be the time that you do it. Let's pray. Joe, we just thank you for your blessings. We just thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We just pray that if there's something in our life that we need to change, that we, just, that we wouldn't say, well, I've been doing it. I've been right in the past. I just have to keep being right. That we would be like the people in Acts here, these circumcised Jews that saw that when God had sent his spirit to the Gentiles, it was time to do something different. Lord, we thank you so much for that change that we can be sons and daughters of you, that we too have equal access, that no longer do we have to become a Jew to be be a follower of you, but you sent your son to die for us, that where we are, we might be able to have equal and total access to you. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.